Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And as usual, uh, although we haven't really been talking the last couple of weeks, we'll get into that in just a second, but we'd love to take some time to answer some questions. I know we've got some questions for the end of this podcast, so uh, feel free to send those in at infogrove.church or direct message our Facebook page. Uh, just jump on Facebook, hit the Grove Church Marysville or Snohomish, hit like, and then send us a message, and we'd spend time answering those questions for you. Yeah. Two Saturdays ago, we were, uh, we were ready to record this episode, and then Aaron was rudely interrupted. Um, by someone. So why don't you tell us yeah, about that? It's, yeah, it's 6.54 in the morning. My wife had our third child. Um, it was a little bit unexpected. We thought we'd have maybe another week, um, but it was our third. So everyone says they come quicker and earlier than normal. So yeah, we had a baby. Uh, her name is Esther Hope. We were surprised with the girl. Um, I and she is the cutest. She is supposed to be the cutest, yes. Um, <laughs> but I'm still not convinced that being surprised is the way to go. So if you are on the fence about whether you should wait to find out about the gender of your baby, don't do it. Find really? Out. So, but you had yeah. the guy and the girl clothes, so, but you still wouldn't we didn't have, Well, no, we didn't have the girl clothes. Because oh. Abby's, my, my oldest daughter is now almost seven. Um, so she, we didn't have baby clothes anymore. So. Gotcha. I assumed that you were waiting because you had everything already. So, oh, no. gotcha. Well, I guess my, like, th- this is my pride, whatever, but my wife has always been interested in waiting till birth. Um, and I've never been about that life. So she, uh, so she had asked and wanted to do that this time. And so we have a boy and a girl or a girl and a boy. And now we have another girl. So we just went with it, but sure. it wasn't my, it wasn't my decision. I laid down my life cause I was pregnant. So. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, so congratulations, Aaron. Um, if you're wondering, that's why we're gone the last couple of weeks, uh, but we'll be back in regular rhythm, uh, coming here shortly. And then I'm, I ordered some better mics. So hopefully in the next few episodes, you'll notice an audio upgrade over the uh, the really crappy mics that we're using now. Uh, but yeah, hopefully. Anyway, so that's that's where we're at. Uh, we're still wanting to bring you but content. We're back. Still wanting to read the Bible even while we're in quarantine. Uh, so there you go. Uh, so, anyways, jumping into today, we're doing. Um, I'm really excited about this. We're doing a book study of Ecclesiastes. Um, if you followed our podcast for a long time, you know that this is Evans. I mean, this is his go-to book. I'm, it's 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 his wheelhouse. It's his love. It's, it's I'm a everything. sucker for the Old Testament wisdom literature. It's just great stuff. Um, yeah. I actually, it's funny. I've actually gotten really into Job after we did the deep dive a couple weeks ago. Um, I've been reading through it and like studying it, like going like deep, like going deep into it. It's, like, it's, such, it's really good. And then the, you'll yeah. notice um, Job and Ecclesiastes have a lot of, a lot of themes in common. So I'll be yeah. reading as I'm reading through Job, I'm marking out some sections and I'm being like, Oh, this is like directly from, uh, or I guess Ecclesiastes take this directly from Job as far as like wisdom literature goes. So it's really, it's really yeah, interesting and, and stuff. I, I hope that's, I hope that's true for everybody. I hope as you kind of hear us kind of working through some of the texts and some of the books that it ca- kind of causes you to, to be a little bit more intrigued um, to deep dive into some of these books, because that's the whole point of the podcast. We, we want you to, um, you know, spend time, not just reading it because that's what we should do, but spending time in it to learn and grow and understand God's heart and the love that he has for humanity. So, Right. Um, as far as the same interest. Uh, so as far as what we're using today, we have uh, just kind of our normal, the, the usual suspects, the ESV study Bible, uh, the Logos Bible software, um, and yep. the essence of the Old Testament, a survey by Ed Hinson and Gary Yates. 
Um, so yeah, just that's that's what we're using. Yeah. And with that being said, we'll go ahead and jump into uh, just kind of introducing the book. Uh, Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book that deals with major themes that are still relevant to us today. I think you can say that for all the wisdom books. Um, that's sure. that's kind of why they're they're really timeless as far as. Um, it's very rare that you find a spot where you're like, well, I don't understand how this would apply to me today. But most of um, most of wisdom literature is really it's it sounds ancient um, because yeah. it is. But the themes that they're talking about, the emotions that they're talking about um, are very much relevant to us today. Uh, some of the themes that they're talking about is what is man's place in a fallen world? Um, or in other words, in a world covered in sin, um, what is our place? I don't know if you can hear the train behind me, but... Totally heard it. It was awesome. Did you? All right. Yeah, I got, this I got is, the train hey, this tracks. Is a sh- this is a sheltering in place, okay? We're, we're sheltering at home. We're staying home, staying home, staying safe. There you go. I got the train tracks like 100 yards from my apartment, so it's good stuff. Um, but yeah, in a, in a world that's fallen in sin, what is our place inside of it? Um, what is man capable of fixing? Um, is oftentimes brought up. You'll hear about evils under the sun all the time. And then ultimately, uh, and this is the big theme of the book, is what is the meaning, uh, what meaning is there to life? Uh, And more specifically, what meaning is there to life without God? And so you're going to hear this phrase over and over again, and we'll talk about that a little bit uh, when we get there, but this phrase, under the sun, and what it's referring to is basically just life on earth. Don't take eternity um, necessarily into context. Um, and it's talking really about the vanity of if, if all you're focused on is here on earth, mm-hmm. um, it's all vanity. So it's a, it's a cheery book, Ecclesiastes. Yeah, it really is. But, but a very, but a very necessary one. Uh, there's it's, some, it's, a, it's, I would say it's a realist book. I mean, it's, it's a book for the spiritual realism in the sense of, and as, as funny, I was actually thinking about this earlier today, um, before we recorded, obviously of just how, how phenomenal this book really is. And how in our human pride, we don't heed its wisdom. Yeah. Like how easy it is for us to disregard all of the wisdom of Solomon and all of the life excursions and experiences he pursues looking for the purpose and hope. And we just disregard it. Like, oh, that's just Solomon. It's, it's, it doesn't apply to me, but it's so true. If we were to take a moment and heed what it says. But yeah, anyways. absolutely. Um, there's some debate on who wrote the book. Um, however, the consensus is Solomon. Um, there's kind of like some stylistic differences you see from Proverbs, but a lot of that can also be explained about um, if you wrote Proverbs as a young man and he wrote Ecclesiastes as an older man, um, there's obviously going to be some changes that go yeah. on there. Uh, it would have been written later in his life. Um, and and I, I do like that it offers hope that Solomon turned it around at the end because what we get from yeah, Kings sure. and Chronicles is that Solomon's an idiot for a lot of his reign. <laughs> Um, it is probably a strong word because he's a wise king, um, but he just turns away from God and he makes a bunch of dumb choices. And so yeah, he's blinded by his knowledge. Yeah. Ecclesiastes kind of offers hope that at the end of his life, Solomon kind of realized how much he had wasted doing all these different things, which is a really, yeah. it's a really powerful, powerful statement. And, yeah, uh, and it's one of those, it's, I mean, we did a series on this book years ago at the Grove church. Um, I don't remember what it's called. I know you remember what it was called. Because you love this. No, you don't. Okay. I, I wasn't um, here. I don't think when we did. Or I, wasn't no, on, I was on staff, I mean. No, that's probably true. Um, but it just, it literally the whole picture of the series, we, we kind of created like a little rocking chair vibe on the stage because it literally is almost solemn at the end of his life, sitting on this front porch kind of thing uh, and just sharing like, hey, let me, let me rehash everything in life. Let me share with you my experiences and what I pursued. Um, and so it, the, the I, my, my opinion and my perspective in, in, is that Solomon did write this book, but it is at the end of his life. It is after all these pursuits and pleasures that he's pursued. Right. Um, so it's, but I just, every time I read this book now, I have this rocking chair 
on a French porch, sipping some sweet tea um, towards the end of someone's life. So there you that's go. the picture going through my head right now. You're welcome for that. Uh, and then finally, there's there's really not um, there's not a definitive outline of the book, um, and so we're gonna kind of do our best. We clump the chapters together. Um, I really used the one that was in the um, the Old Testament survey book that I have. Um, but unlike Job and some other books that we've done recently, this one doesn't neatly fit into here's a section, here's a section, here's a section. It's kind of just spewed out sections yeah, upon the That'd sections. be nice and convenient. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, like I said, we'll do our best and then we'll just kind of uh, get moving. So uh, the first scene, uh, first section of poetry really sets the whole scene for the book. And Ecclesiastes is really cool because it, it weaves in um, poetry and then just kind of standard standard text that's not prose and it kind of goes back and forth. Um, and so, you know, it, you're not, you don't feel like you're stuck reading poetry for uh, the entire book, but you also don't feel like you're stuck reading just like, you know, giant blocks of paragraph and everything like that. Um, but the opening words of the book are uh, the words of the preacher, the son of David, King in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied without with seeing, nor the ear filled with that, with hearing. What has uh, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there such a thing of which it is said, "See, this is new; it has been already in the ages before us." There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. It's beautiful. beautiful. It's, a, it's a beautiful day to read Ecclesiastes, a, let me a, tell you. A beautiful thought. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the book opens up with how essentially he's looking at life. And, and the, the pictures he's using, the one that really stuck out to me that I think is, is really fun is uh, – um, the streams continue to flow into the sea, but the sea never fills up and the streams never empty. And then the point that he's making is that there's just a cyclical nature to life that it seems like life is moving in a direction. Um, mm-hmm. But if, if all you're focused on is under the sun, then, then it's not, it's, it's just kind of cycles. Um, and I think even with history, you can look at that where um, if you have the, the return of Christ in mind in God's redemptive plan, well, you see through history, there is something moving because all of um, history was moving up to the moment where Christ was here. And now all of history is moving up to the moment where, where Christ returns. Um, but if, if that's not what you're thinking, history isn't moving in one direction. It's cyclical. We see um, sections like right now we're in a, we're in a, uh, a part of the world where or a history of the world where there's a lot of peace. And I think we kind of yeah. just assume, that th- this is the way it's going to be now moving forward. Well, that's not true. There's been uh, times of the world where there's been a lot of peace, and then there's all of a sudden just massive wars break out um, and thousands, millions of people die. Um, we're not continually, I guess, inching towards progress. Really, it is just kind of the cyclical nature to life, and that's what um, that's what Solomon is seeing thousands of years ago, <laughs> and it, it still applies today. Yeah, so, well, and I think that I, I love the picture, even as you presented. I mean, was it's 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 an unending 
pursuit and our lives. We always like, if only I could just accomplish this, if only I can just get to here. As Solomon is literally from the very beginning of this book, calling out the fact that there is no, there's no end to the pursuits and there's no end to this cyclical life, which is the reason why everything is meaningless, which is the reason why everything's pointless um, because we're, we're pursuing the wrong things. It's a, it's vanity. It's all for our own ego. Uh, and just that picture of the streams into the sea and the streams never run out. And um, it's this crazy, um, what's the word I'm looking for, man? It's uh, not cycle, but it, it is this crazy picture of the simple fact that what are we pursuing? Where are we finding our pleasure, our, our purpose, our fulfillment? If we just live in this unending um process and, and cycle, I guess, cause I can't think of the other word, but yeah, um, yeah it's just a, it's such a crazy picture. So I just like the picture of the sun setting and chasing and rising only to trace the set, setting position again. Like it's like, True. it's just, it's all vanity. It's like, okay, I'm up, but now I'm, I'm done. Like it's, it's just funny. Yeah. Thank um, you, Solomon. <laughs> a couple uh, um, of the phrases we're going to see all throughout the book are introduced here in this chapter. Uh, so we have under the sun, which we've already kind of talked about, but it's just a human perspective. Um, vanity. I, I forgot to write down the Hebrew word, but translated it, it, it translates to vapor, mist, meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically it's saying that, yeah, like, you know, when you spray a vapor out of a spray bottle, it's there for a second and then it's gone. Um, and then finally, and I actually love this one, striving after the wind, or in other words, it's an impossible task. Um, like if you've got, yeah. and it, that one has kind of actually made it into the modern lexicon of like chasing the wind. Um, yeah, it basically means the same thing. So there you go. You're going to hear those phrases a lot. Um, they're yeah. just poet, poetic ways of saying, uh, how meaningless parts of life are. So there you go. A cheerful fellow. That's Solomon. Uh, <laughs> all right. But moving on to, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter two. Um, so this one just kind of gets down to some different vanities that, uh, that Solomon is seeing, uh, he really goes after some of the ways that we try to add meaning to our lives, um, again, from a purely human perspective. So if we don't have eternity um, in mind, then basically what's the point is, um, is kind of what Solomon is communicating here. Uh, so the vanity of pleasure, um, Solomon describes how he filled his life with pleasures, but ultimately it meant nothing. Um, and if you remember from when we talked about Solomon, boy, that guy filled his life with pleasure. So it's just, if he wanted it, um, he took it. It talks about how um, he built palaces for him. He built palaces for his wives. He had something like 300, he had 300 something wives. I don't remember the exact number of it. Um, So many. And then a number like hundreds more concubines or whatever it was. Um, So if he wants pleasure in that area, he can. If he wants pleasure as far as like building these massive structures and, and homes, he can. He has mansions. Um, it talks about how he has gardens and he's built them all. Like he, um, if Solomon wanted something, he did not deny it to himself is basically what I'm getting at. And as yeah. he's reaching the end of his life, he's realizing that that was, um, that it was meaningless. It just wasn't something that, that gave him any fulfillment. Uh, the vanity of living wisely, which I actually think is really interesting. Um, hmm. And one of the themes of Ecclesiastes that, that I really love is that it's not just bad things. Um, like, like we would all agree that the pursuit of pleasure with no, um, with no governor on us is, is bad. It's always going to be bad. Yeah. Um, but living wisely, that doesn't, that's not a bad thing. Um, but when that's what you're investing your life in, when that's what you're trying to find your purpose in, uh, Solomon just kind of talks about how it's, 
it's meaningless. And I do love that he says, um, I don't have the verse in front of me, but, but, but paraphrasing, he says, it's better to live wise than foolish. But at the end of the day, both of them, like you just die. You, it, it's all yeah. vanity at the end of the day. Um, I, I put in the notes, but no matter what, you are marching on to your inevitable death. <laughs> so yeah, I was just, I was just reading that again. Um, yeah, I just think it's, man, that, I just love that Solomon is literally calling out everything that we chase after. Yeah. And um, our own attempts to live with meaning and purpose and um, like, like just instincts, like he's calling it all out, uh, which, which is good because it's funny. Um, I was reading, I was just, I was watching a Dave Ramsey snippet or whatever. And one of the things he says, he's like, I'm just, a, I'm just a, a logical, rational person. Like I just look at things. And so he's like, you're saying this, but it's not right. It's just not accurate. And I can almost just see like Solomon saying the same things. Like, listen, I get that we all do these things. It's, it's don't be offended by it. It's just true. These things lead to death. They all bring us to a point of oblivion. So uh, I just love that he calls it out. That's, yeah. that's the fun part of this book and the sucky thing of this book. Cause then I get convicted too. So yeah, it does sound like you said, it does sound like you're chatting with your, your grumpy grandpa about, about how life went. Um, and then finally the vanity of hard work, which again, hard work, not a bad thing um, at all, but no. basically, and I, I, I do love, this is a theme that comes up a couple times in Ecclesiastes, but basically no matter how hard you work, your legacy is only as good as the next person to take over. Um, I actually have a passage on iron. Do you want to read the passage? Yeah. yeah I'll read the Bible it. reading? It's, it's a good passage to read. So uh, it says this in chapter two, verses 18 to 23 uh, in the ESV, which is Evan's go-to. Mine's a little different, but rock on. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be a master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. Foreshadowing. Right? Sorry. This also is vanity and great, a great evil. What has a man from the, all the toil and striving of heart which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Just great. Um, I, I wrote. I wrote in the notes. It's this is. It's it's a really interesting thing for Solomon to notice because you could very easily make the argument um, that Solomon is the idiot son who came after David and kind of ruined a lot of stuff. Um, and even more so, you can very much see that Solomon's son Rehoboam he gets into power. And like one of the first things that he does when he's king is just mess up so bad that the kingdom divides. And so it's yeah. uh, he, like, here's this great kingdom that was built up by David. Um, even in Solomon's time, right? It's still in Israel's golden age. It's still being put for, uh, built forward. The temple is being constructed. All these great things are happening. Um, Solomon dies and then his son takes over and just like that, it's over. So dude, so funny. It's uh it's a depressing thing to notice, I suppose, but it is, it is really interesting. I think that, uh, um, that Solomon points that out and, and, and he's basically talking about, you know, if, if your concern 
is not eternally minded, but it really is just about, you know, your legacy here on earth uh, of what you're going to build of what you've made, then yeah, that is meaningless. Because if yeah. that's all David and Solomon were concerned about, it's just one generation, then it's all gone. And then what do they have? So it's, yeah. it's keeping eternity in mind uh, as opposed to just life under the sun. Yeah. And, and that's absolutely it. I mean, it's, there's a certain humility that is required to be living with eternity in mind. It's, it's, it's either egocentric and pride driven to build my own legacy or it's, there's a certain humility when you recognize like, I'm, I'm just doing this for a season and handing it off. That's, that's what it comes down to. All the hard work that I've been doing, I'm giving to someone else to take on and whether they're going to be a fool or wise about it, I can't control. Right. And, and so now it's literally, um, it's, it's foolish. If that's what I build is what my legacy is going to be. The reality is it's, it's not going to be much because someone's going to take it and do something different with it. So there's a certain level of humility, humility that is required. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so moving on to, uh, cause I feel like we do have to pick up the pace a little bit cause we can't just spend all day talking about Ecclesiastes, even though I could, well, you could, um, but the, the next section we're just going to call the plan of God. Um, again, these sections are kind of loose. Um, they're not specifically um, supposed to be sections, but that's where we're at. Chapters three through five. Um, I would say this is probably the most famous section of Ecclesiastes. Um, yeah, and it's just because it's that song. Um, so if you've ever heard, uh, it's called Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds, um, which I couldn't have told you the name of the song at all, but it's just, there's literally, a, it's a folk song that's actually somewhat popular. Um, but it's just Ecclesiastes three, one through eight. That's the whole song. And then they add, they add the words turn, turn, turn to it. But, um, the poem is this, uh, is pretty famous. It goes for everything. There is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time, to, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to silence and a time to speak. Or a time to keep. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. Uh, a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And then they, at the end of the song, because they're, I don't know, they're hippies or something, they're just like, oh, it's time for peace. And then it ends. So there you go. Um, but it's, uh, it, it gets back to really what, what Solomon's talking about in, um, in the first chapter. And it, it really is talking about the cyclical nature of, of mm -hmm. life. Um, that, yeah. and, I, and I think it's actually really powerful because I think there are, there are some sections of Christianity where the, the idea that they have is that um, life should be only one of these things. So there's not a time to die. It's just, you know, life is about being born and a time to plant and a time to heal and a time to build up, um, a time to laugh, a time to dance. Like you, so you can kind of just take half of them, you know, if, if you get what I'm saying. And then yeah. um, it's not realizing that, well, well life is everything. Like in life, there's times for joy, but there's also times for, for sadness. There's times for all these different things. Um, and what Solomon is noticing is that if basically, if you don't accept all of life, you're just not, you're not going to be able to understand any of it. And that's just kind of the way it is. So I don't know if you have any thoughts there. 
No, I think, I think it's spot on. I think it's, you can't take half, you can't take parts portions and, and, and our humanity, I think that's what we want to do. We want to take the good, not the bad. We want to take the, the memorable and not the, the painful. And I think um, the reality is to, to gather a full appreciation um, of who God is and this life that we get to live, it has to be both. And I mean, what the, the, the statement goes along the lines of like, you can't fully understand joy without first understanding disappointment. Like you can't understand right. healing without first understanding sickness. Like there's, it's, it is meant to go together like the entirety of life. So yeah, I think it's a great, great thought. Great point. So there you go. Uh, there's a great section that follows this that discusses, um, this is another really famous verse uh, from Ecclesiastes, um, but it's because how eternity has been written on the hearts of man. Um, and yet we cannot fully comprehend all of life on this side of eternity. Um, and that our proper reaction is to enjoy the life um, that God has given us. Um, and that's another common theme in Ecclesiastes. I think that kind of gets a bad rap once in a while um, because it kind of, it can get translated. You know, it's like eat and eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Um, I forgot what that's from, but that's kind of like one of the more famous, I guess, pop culture references of what it's talking about. Um, but really it's saying that, um, part of the, the lot of life of humans is to um, enjoy the life that God has given us to, to, to find joy um, in the toil is what is often said there, but to find joy in relationships. Um, I forgot what section of Ecclesiastes it is, but it's even talking about, you know, enjoying life with your spouse. Um, and yeah. just, so there it is kind of saying like, even in life um, under the sun, you can find joy in certain things, but you're not going to find meaning. You're not going to find purpose unless you have eternity um, yeah. in mind as well. So yep. there you go. Uh, just kind of powering through chapter four deals, uh, with the evil of a fallen world. Ecclesiastes takes a sober look about how, uh, we as humans have failed to live up to the law of God. Um, this takes the form of both doing wrong, um, but also doing things for wrong reasons. Um, and in chapter four, you see, he talks about, about oppression, um, and how it's just, it's, it's rampant, um, and what Solomon is observing. And obviously that's not a thing that's contained, um, in the ancient world, but we see oppression um, back then. We see oppression today. Um, it happens all the time. And then also this idea of doing good things, um, but doing them for the wrong reasons. And the example used is uh, working hard, but doing it out of envy for what other people have. Yeah. And so you realize that even though you're doing this thing, that's a good thing when you don't have eternity in mind and you're just working under the sun, all of a sudden it's, it's vanity as well. So there you go. Uh, chapter five opens up with a passage, uh, reminding us to keep our hearts, uh, right before God and then launches into this depressing section. I also misspelled hearts in the notes. I spelled it H-E-R-T. Hurts. hurts. Keep our hearts before God. Uh, but the, uh, <laughs> the, the section is this, um, if you see in Providence, in a province, the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter for the high official is watched by a higher and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in, in every way, a king committed to cultivated, cultivated fields. He who loves money will never be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sweep, sweet, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Um, 
so again, speaking of things that are relevant today, I just love how like the first section is basically about um, like, hey, if you see um, people in power, like politicians oppressing the poor, um, don't be amazed by this. This is kind of just what happens, which is not an excuse. I, obviously, for us as Christians, we're called um, very specifically by Jesus to take care of the poor um, and to do what we can. But there is kind yeah. of just the, this realism of Ecclesiastes saying, Ecclesiastes saying that um, this is just kind of the way that it is. Uh, it's the way that I, I think Jesus even says something similar where he talks about how um, uh, the poor you will, you will always have with you. Um, and so there is yep. kind of like a, a cyclical nature to it, which is on, on the one hand depressing, I suppose, but on the other hand, it kind of just helps you have um, a realistic outlook on what, what life in a fallen and sinful world um, actually is. And then I love the line, uh, but this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Or in other words, if you are in leadership, if you are in um, you know, power over other people, um, mm-hmm. when it says a king committed to cultivated fields, what it means is a king committed to the prosperity of his people. Um, so a king committed to, to his people having food, his people having shelter, his people have, you know, taking care of the basic necessities of life. Um, and when the people in power are concerned with that, it's better for the entire nation. Um, seems really cool. Feel free to interject yeah. if you have any thoughts here. No, I, yeah, I, just, <laughs> I, I think you're, I think you're hitting, you know, the nail on the head with these. I think it's, it's, it's funny because my mind goes to like how often we see people out crying. Um, when, when we see injustice and we see, you know, a lack of righteousness and it's not to say that we shouldn't outcry, but when we then begin to blame God or point the finger, God, how many people do I know that have walked away from faith in Christ because they, they see an injustice and they don't understand why God doesn't do anything. And, and it's, the truth of the matter, like it's, it's a sobering statement. It's, it's not one that we should be like, well, we should just like continue. It's, we should continue to move on with life, even though that there's injustice. No, like we need, we need to do everything we can to defend the rights of the widow and the orphan and the poor and the, and the impoverished. But the reality is like, if we're going to make our, you know, our position to be this complaint, constant complaint and outcry against God, where are you? God, why are you so unrighteous? It's, we we're missing, we're missing a greater picture. And I think that's where the eternity comes into play. That's the whole point of the book, right? Is to yeah. draw us back to this, this mentality of eternity um, but at the same time, it's like, dude, I see, I see injustice all the time and it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Like it's, it, but, it, but it's go, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I was going to say, I fine. think, I think there's, um, the idea too, is that our hope should not be in something that's under the sun. So in other words, as, as Christians, we should fight injustice. We should fight yeah. oppression. We should take care um, of the poor. We should take care of the people who we can. Um, but our goal shouldn't, uh, goal's a weird word, but we shouldn't have this hope that one day in the world, those things will be eradicated because that's just not the way the world is. Um, there's always going to be those things. Um, and as Christians, our hope is not that one day we'll get to the point where those things have ended. Um, our hope is rather that one day we will get to the point where God has ended those things. Um, yeah, our, hope is in, our hope is in eternity. Our hope is not in something that's going to happen here and now. Yeah, it's really um, good. So moving uh, forward, he who loves money will never be satisfied with money. Um, Solomon kind of already talked about that in the section where, you know, he's talking about the vanity of wealth, um, and all those things. Uh, and then finally, I love sweet is the, sweet is the, I can't say that sentence for some reason, but sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much. Um, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Or in other words, um, 
when you have all of these responsibilities on you, it weighs on you. And so even like the laborer, the reason he sleeps well is because the day is over and the, you know, the day's work is done. What he's accomplished yeah. is done. Um, but when you've gathered all these things to you, when you've hoarded wealth, um, you're worried about losing it. And so it is kind of this interesting contrast where you would think that the wealthy persons would sleep great and the person who's hungry wouldn't, but rather it's the opposite is what Solomon is noticing is that people who have a lot and hoard a lot are worried about losing it. Whereas people who don't have this much, um, they're, just, they're resting just fine. So yeah, it is kind of an interesting thought. That's yeah, true. Uh, moving forward. And again, we're kind of powering through really fast here. Uh, chapter seven has a great poem contrasting wisdom and folly. Um, and you'll see some hints of Job here too. Uh, if you remember, we talked about the, the interlude poem of Job where it talks about where wisdom can be found. You'll, you'll, hit, you'll get some hints of it yeah. here. Um, but in Ecclesiastes 7 verses 1 through 13, it says, A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for sadness of face. Uh, it, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is the house is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear rebuke of the hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning, and the patient spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in, uh, in your spirit to become angry, for the anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were former days better than these? For it is not wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves. Uh, preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God who can make straight that which man has made crooked. So there you go. Uh, that is, yeah. sorry, who can make straight that which he has made crooked. I, re- I I scrolled up right when I was finishing it, but that was the, that was the actual ending verse there. Dude, and that question is not, it's not an easy one to, to think about. <laughs> what, what do you mean you've made crooked? You're supposed to make things straight. Um, but yeah, again, it's it's a matter of perspective and understanding. Where where are we setting our eyes? Where are we setting our hopes? Where are we setting our our, our focus? So, yeah, I think it was it was really interesting because I was um, um, helping out with a memorial. Um, this is a few months ago now, I suppose. And then um, John Rich, who's one of the pastors on staff, um, he was the one officiating the whole memorial. And he actually, uh, I was kind of surprised because you never hear Ecclesiastes read it memorials because it's just kind of like a depressing book um but he actually ended up with um um a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death better than the day of birth it is better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart and kind of just talking through um and i think what solomon is getting at here is that there there is health in contemplating mortality if yeah. that makes sense, which sounds kind of morbid, but I remember one of the, um, uh, so, you know, part, part of what we do on staff is we, we just, we do memorials. And so I'm, I'm a part of a lot of them, um, whether it's running media or kind of doing other things. And there's, there's kind of two different kinds. Um, cause there's the ones that are, um, 
I guess for, for lack of a better way of saying it, they're just massive. Um, there's tragedies that have happened, right. Where it's unexpected. Um, the family is very much in shock. And, and so, and they're just, they're really hard. Um, they're really hard to do. And you have to kind of counsel the family through all those things, but there's other memorials that are actually, which sounds kind of weird to say, um, but they're actually a joy to be a part of because a lot of times what they are is someone who's made it very late in life. Um, they die. And rather than it being this kind of this, this tragic thing that a family's trying to cope with, it's, it's really this point of um, remembering how, um, how this person was and how many lives they touched. Like I remember um, this lady named Sylvia in the church who was, um, for years and years, she had been at the church and she was in her nineties and, um, at her memorial, it was just incredible to see how many people got up and talked about how, you know, her hairdresser got up and talked about how she had touched her, her life and how, um, she was just being a witness with her and all, and all these different people kind of just coming forward. Um, and you get to see how a life touches another life. And I think that's kind of what Solomon is saying here is that when you, when you contemplate, um, someone's life, you begin to see what really matters. And you begin to see the things that you want for yourself at the end of your life as well. So, yeah, so true. It's a, it's a sobering thought. It's a little bit <laughs> depressing, but I guess you could say. But it's necessary. I think it's necessary. Um, and, and I think that's part of what Solomon's getting at. Like, this is, this is part of our existence. We have to be thinking beyond the, I mean, go back to the, there's a time for everything. We have to take the, the entirety of life, life and death, and everything in between into perspective so we can have the right, so we can prioritize the right things, so we can find beauty in the right things, so we can find the hope and the meaning in, in the one who's the author of life and death. So, yeah. Uh, so moving on to chapter eight, Solomon just kind of reminds us that it's better to live according to God's law than to live a wicked life. Um, and that's even without inter- eternity in mind. He's just saying, you know, if you listen to the law that we have, you're going to, your life is going to be way better than if you don't. Yep. Um, all right. So we're closing in, uh, to the end of the book here. We've only got a couple more sections. So we'll call this section, the process of living, um, it's in Ecclesiastes nine through the very beginning of, <clears throat> of chapter 12, um, chapter nine, um, really hammers home the point that death is the great equalizer of mankind. Um, or in other words, the, the, a big reason why Solomon says that everything is vanity under the sun. If you don't have eternity in in mind is because we're all going to die. Um, and death is the great yeah. equalizer. Um, the greatest people in history, the wealthiest people in history, um, they've all died just like the poorest people in history and just like yep. um, the, the people who were not great at all. So um, he's kind of talking about there again, Ecclesiastes is just a great <laughs> uplifter of a book. Um, and then starting in verse 11, um, we launched into a final, it's kind of just a final exaltation and then a poem as well, but it's reminding the reader that wisdom is better than folly. Um, which again, even without the perspective of eternity is just kind of true. Um, I won't read a ton of it, but there's a couple of verses that I think just kind of stood out to me in, in the poem section is, uh, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of the fool consume him, which I think is just a good thing for all of us to keep in mind. Uh, the beginning of, of the words of his mouth is foolishness and the end of his task is evil madness. A fool multiplies. Talk. Yeah. The end of his talk is evil oh, madness. What did I say? You said task. Oh, there you go. End of his talk is madness. Uh, a fool 
multiplies words, though no man knows what he, what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through us, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. So there you go. Um, I, 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 I love the line that uh, the, the words of a wise man win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Um, or in other words, if you want to know the difference between those who are wise and those who are foolish, you can oftentimes listen to them talk. <laughs> and, yep. and it, it makes it absolutely clear. Yeah. Um, but I also love... And this is kind of more of just like a historical thing that I think is really interesting. But um, happier you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength um, and not for drunkenness. And you see this a lot of times in history that and you'll see it with Solomon and Rehoboam um, yeah. a lot of the times as well, where um, people who grow up in good times. Um, oftentimes just think like, oh, this is great. And then they just feast and they do all these different things, particularly leaders, I suppose. Um, but they don't take the necessary um, precautions against it. And it, it, even like in the sense, if you ever seen the movie Gladiator, like the contrast between Marcus Aurelius and Commodus, um, neither of whom are Christians, but it's just kind of like you see this um, historically in one sense, this emperor who's very beloved um, and he's kind of like more reserved, um, philosophical. And then his son is just like, games feasts let's do it and then, yeah right. it doesn't work out too well for him so um i think that's just a really it's a really potent statement i suppose we'll say oh it's a huge statement yeah and it's funny how we can flip-flop into each one like there's i even as i think back in my own life there's moments where i'm pretty quiet and i'm like i speak only when i need to and only when i need to but then there's other moments that i just talk and talk and talk and talk just to try oh, yeah. and prove myself like i know what i'm talking about and really i don't know what i'm talking about wow. yeah that's awesome the phrase that a, a fool multiplies his words is always pretty convicting because you're just like yeah. oh oops yeah. <laughs> um and then finally uh to end ecclesiastes here uh it ends on this note i guess i'm taking most of the scripture in your day sorry but when we do you're good dude when we do I, your favorite like, book you can read them all so i like listening to you read the bible bro um but that's good. The, that should be a new podcast. The new podcast, Evan Reads the Bible. There you go. That's illegal, though. So <laughs> oh. the, the translations will come after me. I didn't know this, but there's actually like when you look at um, this is totally just left field stuff. But when you look at Bible translations, there's a certain amount that you're allowed to read um, before you actually have to get permission. So huh. I forgot what it is, but you learn something new every day. There you go. So you got you to gotta be careful. Um, anyway, so <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, verses 9 through 14. So just the end of the book, it says this. Uh, Besides being wise, the preacher, or Solomon, um, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and haranguing many proverbs with care. Proverbs. Uh, the preacher Arrang stopped, Arranging. Arranging. Is that what it? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I just can't read today. Evan hasn't uh, had his coffee yet. There's some truth to that. Uh, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God 
and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Love that's the line ending. in the book. And the, yeah, the ending of the book really is this kind of just like focus on eternity, obey God's yep. laws. And, and you know, when it says for God will bring every deed into judgment, that's not talking about right now. Um, because we know full well that there are people who, uh, um, there are people who go to the grave, um, without the judgment of God. And, and I want to, I do want to be careful too, because I think this is one of the books where you do have to read it through the new covenant and not the old covenant. So as Christians, we don't need to be afraid, um, of judgment in the sense of like, well, you've sinned. So now you're going to hell, but we should still live with the eternal perspective <coughs> Yeah, and realizing that, you know, this life is not all that there is and that eventually we will be going um, and we have the grace of God and we have um, the salvation of the Lord, but that's all the more reason um, to live in a way where we obey God's commandments. So, yeah. And I think even in that, as you're, I mean, God will bring every deed into judgment that in and of itself should evoke a fear of God, not in the sense of where we're afraid of a, of, of a strong dictator, but the fact that God is just, he's going yeah. to judge us to according to our deeds um and i think i may have brought this up in one of the last podcasts or like the whole idea like not everyone who says lord lord will enter into my kingdom like there is work that's required as followers of christ and that bring and when we have eternity in mind when we focus on uh the life beyond the, the moment and the temporary it causes us to walk a little differently we're more cautious with what we do with what we see with what we spend our money on like it changes the way with which we perceive, which should be in response to God. You are incredibly gracious and incredibly just, and it's not a balance. It's a full measure of both. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the fear God and keep his commands. But this is the whole duty of man. The right way to fear God is to have an eternal perspective and have an, a perspective of eternal things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think there's any better way to wrap up our discussion on Ecclesiastes. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it um, as much as we enjoyed talking about it. Um, it's, it's a unique book of the Bible. Um, but I think when you kind of understand the context of it, understand the ways to read it, it's, it's also one yeah. of the most life giving, which is strange because the book comes across as really depressing. Um, but when you're getting what it has to say, you realize the importance of keeping an eternal perspective um, in the midst of everything. So there you go. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, our Q and A portion. We had a few questions come in um, over the last two weeks when we were when we were absent. Um, so we'll do we'll do three today just to kind of keep up, um, and we'll power through these um, as quickly as we can because I'm, I'm, I'm we don't have a timer on this app, but I'm sure we've gone over time of what we normally do. Um, yeah, we'll see. Alright, but anyways, uh, before we jump into that, do us a favor, please leave us a review uh, on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you're listening on. Um, it just helps get the podcast out there to more people. Um, and if you have constructive criticism, let us know there too, uh, things we could do better. Um, like I said, we're hoping to get some better mics here pretty soon, so it won't always sound uh, so bad, but yeah, hopefully in the we'll next... Yeah, hopefully in the next episode or two, you'll hear a, a market improvement over the last few weeks. Um, okay, so question one... And if not, just pretend you oh. did. Just pretend you did. Said if not, yeah, just pretend you did. <laughs> uh, question one. Jesus cursing the fig tree in Mark 11 has always puzzled me. What is Jesus trying to teach us? 
that's because I've been affected by the wor- world so much that my faith is tinged with doubt, meaning I can't call a mountain to move, or that through learning, practice, or an aha moment, I'll be able to. Um, and so if you don't remember Jesus cursing the fig tree, it's this really weird, um, just aside, because yeah. I forgot, I think it's the triumphal entry, and then this, and then Jesus talks to Pharisees, if I remember correctly, but there's, it's sandwiched between two things. and it's, Yeah, it's a weird thing. Um, and so Jesus is walking by a fig tree, and he's like, oh, it's in leaf, there's fruit on it. And then he goes, and there's no fruit, and then he curses the fig tree, and the fig tree dies, and that's... And that's the story. It's literally, um, and it's kind of funny because with a lot of the things like that that Jesus does, he'll take time to like sit down and explain to his disciples everything. Um, but in this one, it's just like he just curses the fig tree and, and it dies. I don't remember if he says anything because I know they walked back by it. I don't remember if he says anything there. Um, but um, yeah, the the important thing to keep in mind with the, the fig tree story is um, Jesus says or the Bible says the line uh, when, when Mark is writing about it, that Jesus saw the fig tree in leaf. Um, I didn't actually know this until I was, um, uh, I didn't actually know this until um, I was looking through it. But when a fig tree is in leaf, it means that the fruit should be there. Um, So it's not like other trees where they're leaving way before um, the fruit, uh, grows, but with fig trees, the leaves happen and either with the leaves or right afterwards, the fruit should be growing. And so the idea there is if, if you're looking at it <coughs> symbolically, um, I think it really applies to Jerusalem and maybe to the Pharisees uh, specifically, but it's talking about how um, there, 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 should, there should be fruit here. It has the appearance of something that should have fruit, but there's yeah. not. And that's really what Jesus is condemning. So I'd say it's more uh, a symbolic thing more than anything else. I don't think it has to do with, um, you know, you should have the faith to curse a fig tree, but I think it's more about <laughs> using, using the fig tree as an example of, um, of what's been going on there. Yeah. It's uh, an illustration of fruitfulness. It's, it's, are you being fruitful or are you being fruitless? Like that's, that's what it comes down to. Um, I, I think just to be brought to with it, that's what yep. that's, that's the picture Jesus is painting with that. Yep. And our next, and uh, I guess probably last question. Um, so we have a, we have a question about um, the story of uh, the wedding feast with the garments and the people getting thrown out. We'll save that one for next week. Um, so if you ask that, you know who you are, but we didn't, we, we, we see your question. We'll get there next week, uh, but we're kind of running up on time. So I want to get to this next one um, really quick. And it says, uh, in today's reading, it says this, uh, but one day Saul was sitting at home with a spear in his hand, tormenting, uh, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again as David played his harp. Uh, this is the second time that the Bible states that the tormenting spirit was from the Lord, which caused Saul to act out. So that would make me think it wasn't really Saul doing wrong towards David. It's because the spirit of the Lord is sending, uh, is sending down. So why would the Lord do that? And why do we put the blame on Saul? Okay. So really, really deep question. Um, we'll do yeah. our best to kind of, uh, to quickly move through it. There's a couple things I think are important um, to keep in mind with this particular story. Um, number one, um, Saul makes poor choices way before this stuff happens. Um, and Saul is clearly rebelling against God over and over again. 
Um, and so we see in, in 1 Samuel 16, 14 is the verse I wanted to bring up. Um, it says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Um, and I think those two things are connected. And so there's, yeah. in the Old Testament, we get this, this picture and it comes that the, it says the spirit of the Lord fell upon and then whoever it is. And what it always is, is it's the empowerment of God um, to do the task that he's laid out before you. So like, for instance, with Samson, um, when he kills all the Philistines with the, uh, with the jawbone, it says the spirit of the Lord descended upon him. And then he all of a sudden he can do these incredible things. That's kind of the way it happens. Right. Um, and so Saul, the spirit of the Lord is descending upon Saul. So he is empowered by God to be, um, the King of Israel that they need and that God would want him to be. And he continually rejects that. And so when it says that the spirit of the Lord left Saul and then another spirit comes in, um, that's an important thing to keep in mind. And so it's not that Saul is being forced um, to do uh, to do these evil things, but I think Saul's already predisposed to do, to do those things. And when God decides, okay, I'm done with you being king, we're moving on to David, I think you just kind of see Saul descend quicker um, than it would have been out otherwise. So if that makes sense. Um, Aaron, I don't know if you have anything that you want to add. No, I, I think. I think it, you've got to remember that at this point, Saul had already turned his, his heart against the Lord. He had already kind of done his own thing and says the spirit of the Lord had, had left, departed from Saul. Um, and, and so there's this, I mean, God, God's ways are God's ways. And we won't always understand why he does the things he does. But at the end of the day, it's always to glorify his name. And so we, we have to trust in his sovereignty of why the things are happening the way they are. But Saul, in the midst of being tormented, reacts and responds the way he does. Um, so at this point, it was a almost a not rejection, but a it's it's I don't know like it's the tormenting spirit was was ushered in, in by God because of Saul's hard heartedness. Um, at the end of the day, I think God is in His grace is trying to draw Saul back, um, but because of his rebellion, it just is that tension. So um, I, I think that that's if that makes sense. Um, I've never read it and seen and thought that you know, God, you're, you're such a jerk. You're, you're doing this. You're punishing Saul. Well, yeah, Saul, Saul rejected God. And you said at the very beginning, Saul had already done things to turn away from God and God's direct directive, uh, as the King. Uh, and it's just, it, this is part of the aftermath and consequence of rebellion. Yeah. And we do see moments like this throughout the Bible where, um, God directly intervenes to kind of bring about something, um, that needs to happen. And so in this sense, you could say that, um, yeah. God is probably speeding up <coughs> Saul's descent uh, to bring about the rise of David, just like you see in um, the story of Exodus, because uh, it talks about how Pharaoh hardens his heart. Uh, but then there is one section where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, which is kind of an interesting yeah. little side. But you can kind of see that God is even stepping in um, to, to make things happen that need to happen. But you'll also notice that it's never... Um, you know, Pharaoh was a righteous man before God, and then God, like, turns him around. It's always like they're going in this direction and you just kind of see God clearly like accelerating that. I suppose you could say more than anything else um, to bring about yeah. something that he wants to happen for his plan. So um, there you go. Yeah. That's, that's where we have on Saul. Uh, hopefully that makes sense. If you need a follow up, just email in um, and we'll, we'll be happy to talk about it again. That's a really deep question to try and cover in like just a few minutes. So um, no worries if we would like for us to discuss it more. Um, but with that being said, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, even in yeah. the midst of uh, this crazy time of uh, 
of being locked in and all those different things. Um, we hope that this is an encouragement uh, just to be able to read the Bible. Um, and I would encourage all of you to. Um, it's 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 rough kind of being in lockdown. You can kind of feel uh, begin to feel hopeless, or I, I suppose. So stay in the word. Um, stay reading. Read hope. Yeah. Read things that bring hope to you. Um, and we will uh, we'll all get through this. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so right. just last reminder, we're a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. Um, you can find all of our other podcasts and our resources on our website at grove.church.